perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it or based upon it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident or clear when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, that is, not according to genealogy, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him in Psalm 110, verse 4, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment, that is the commandment Moses gave in the Levitical priesthood, is set aside. That is annulled. It's abrogated because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near or nigh to God. The grass withers, the flowers soon fade, but the word of the living God abides forever. Let's pray and ask this blessing. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Would you come in the power of your spirit as we have spoken of already, that you would come and illuminate your word, give us insight. For these things can only be discerned spiritually. For the natural mind cannot understand the things of God. They're foolishness. So, Lord, come and make application by your spirit to our hearts. Speak to us, Lord Jesus Christ, as we've heard from your word. Now, as it's expounded, may we be changed by it from one degree of glory to the next. In the new covenant... Not in the letter of the law, but in the power of the Spirit, Jesus Christ raised from the dead. We pray this in his holy name, to his glorious end. Amen. Beloved, I want you to think with me this morning what it would be like if you were living in the first century. And think of what it would be like if you, if you wanted to go to worship on the Lord's Day at the temple. Most of us living at that time would have lived a great distance away from the temple. We would have had to pack up the minivan, load it with all the accessories that come with being a parent, having small children. And we would set out for Jerusalem. And upon arriving in Jerusalem, you would notice that the city is filled with activity. There are pilgrims everywhere. There are, there are animals that are going to be offered up on the altar there in the temple all around us. And all the pilgrims have gathered to worship. And the day having arrived, 
we would head toward the temple. But as we draw near, we notice on this little wall, right inside of the temple walls, there's a sign that says, no Gentiles beyond this point. No Gentiles beyond this point. So if you cannot trace your bona fides, your credentials, your genealogy to Abraham, you are not to enter and go beyond that point. You see, if you were a Gentile, your journey would stop there. But assuming you are an Israelite, you may proceed. That is, until you come into the next barrier. That is the court of the Israelites, or the court of the Jews, as it's referred to in John's Gospel. And there again, you would stop, and they would check your credentials to see whether you were an Israelite. And if not only if you were an Israelite, but were you ceremonially clean? Were you pure? Had you met all the requirements regarding the ceremonial law of Moses? Many at this time would have been turned away. But let's say you make it past that barrier, then you proceed to the court of the priest. And there you clearly see this rectangular building there in the the center of the temple courts. It's the holy place, the place where the God of heaven, the triune God, would meet with his people through blood sacrifice on that altar in the Holy of Holies. And you think to yourself, "Well, well, maybe I could go in. But then you soon realize that you're blocked again. There's a big curtain that hangs on the wall separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And you note that even the priests themselves could not enter into the holy of holies. But by chance, you just happen to be there on the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur from Leviticus 16, when the high priest of Israel would go into the Holy of Holies with a rope tied around his waist, as he would go before the God whom the Hebrews tells us is a consuming fire, whom the cherubim and the seraphim cover their eyes and they cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And isn't it amazing to you that that refrain never waxes old. That's telling, isn't it? You think, well, I would get tired of, as great as I love, holy, 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 you know, that would wear on me a little bit. After a while, about you know, 150 times. But with the angels of heaven, that refrain never grows old. But the high priest would go into the holy of holies on that special day, and he would take the, the blood sacrifice. And if that sacrifice was accepted, Israel would rejoice that God had accepted the sacrifice, that the the sins of the people had been propitiated for. They had been expiated. They'd been removed as far as the east is from the west, but they'd also been propitiated. The wrath and the holiness of God, that requires perfection and nothing less, you see. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. For without perfection... No man shall see God. And if this sacrifice was accepted, the people would rejoice. and They would have a party, as it were, and have the great feast that would accompany this great feast of the Day of Atonement. But the one thing you notice along the way through all of this, this stepping through these various barriers, is that they're barriers to be crossed. 
that kept the spiritually unclean from the Holy One of Israel, blocking access to the presence of God. Saints, what we have seen in Hebrews is that that whole Old Testament system was unable to secure access. Sure, it it foreshadowed, it typified, and pointed forward away from itself to the reality to which was to come, but it itself was not the reality. They looked in faith to the Lamb that God would provide as we look back upon the Lamb that God has provided in Jesus Christ. You see, in Moses, the Old Testament saint could not draw nigh to God. Something more was needed. Someone who could get them through all those barriers. Someone who could secure access. Someone who could bring them into the Holy of Holies. You needed someone who could get you full access. You needed someone with a backstage pass, if you would. Who could get you behind the curtain to meet with the king. Well, today here in Hebrews 7... What the Old Testament priesthood could not do, we're beginning to see and to flesh out what Jesus Christ in this priesthood, not in the order of Levi and Aaron, but in the order of another high priest, of a different order, and it's the order of Melchizedek, what he has done, that through Jesus Christ we can draw nigh to God. In Jesus' church, we have a full access pass to God. In verses 11 to 19, the preacher now compares and contrasts this Old Testament pictorial system where you painted with numbers, and you were like children under age, under a guardian, under a tutor, until the reality, until the substance, until the final word of God was spoken and Jesus Christ had come. He compares the two systems showing that Christ is superior. So this morning, let's look at these few verses under these three headings. The the perfect priesthood of the Son, the royal priesthood of the Son, and the permanent priesthood of the Son. So first, the, the perfect priesthood of the Son. The perfect priesthood of the Son, verses 11 to 12. Look in the Word of God there. You'll follow along. Notice what he says. Now, if perfection had been attainable... Through the Levitical priesthood, for under it or upon it, the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. You see, what the preacher is saying here is that the Old Testament Levitical priesthood, in spite of all of its beauty, in spite of all the ornamentation of the high priest as he would wear the the names of the tribes of Israel on his breast, the white linen and all that he had, in spite of that and the truth of it, it could not secure perfection. It could not bring us nigh to God. This word perfection, teleosis, is synonymous with salvation in its fullest sense. That is communion with God. That is eternal life, forgiveness, righteousness, the inheritance of the new heavens and new earth. It it could not bring it. It could not secure it. It was hopeless. As we've stated already, the law said, Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Galatians 3.10, All who rely on the works of the law are under the curse of the law. For cursed, 
Cursed is everyone who relies on the works of the law. Cursed is that man who relies on his own resume, his own pedigree, to come into the holy of holies, for he fails to do all that the law requires. You see, beloved, the law of Moses, as great as it was, could not and cannot cleanse a guilty conscience, nor can can it free a sinner from the power of sin. Using the law apart from Christ, I liken it to putting out a fire with kerosene. How's that working for you? When you seek to mortify the flesh, those desires that yet remain within you. Sure, the law can help you in the hand of the mediator, but apart from the mediation of Jesus Christ, you have a better chance of putting out a fire with kerosene. You see, the whole Mosaic administration was given to expose sin for what it was. Romans 3.20, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. To me, that's, that's very clarifying, right? It's, it's very helpful. It's the great equalizer. It puts us all at the foot of the cross. There is no other hope. There is no other boast. There is no other plea except what God in Jesus Christ has done. You see, beloved, what he's arguing here is if the political priesthood could bring perfection, if it could actually bring you near to God, if it could actually secure your salvation, why did God have David prophesy hundreds of years later after the giving of the law in Psalm 110 that another priest would arise, the Messiah, son of David, who would be given an eternal priesthood, not in the order of Aaron, not in the order of Levi, but in the order of Melchizedek. Beloved, what is perfect and permanent does not need replaced. But the Levitical priesthood was not perfect, nor could it perfect anyone. Therefore, God the Holy Spirit speaks of another priesthood, that of Jesus Christ, in the order of Melchizedek, not of Aaron. Notice also how he conjoins or exposes and tells us and shows us how how the law of Moses is intertwined with the priesthood. They're inseparable. That is, they're bound together. But with the changing of the priesthood, there comes a change in the law. Again, his point is that with the passing of the priesthood of Levi, the ceremonial law is now passé. It's run its course. It's no longer binding. Its shelf life is over. It's like mayonnaise that's dated in 2022 in your refrigerator this morning. Why would you go there and eat it and use it? You wouldn't. Because it's out of date. Its shelf life has passed. Likewise, the shelf life of the Mosaic administration of the one covenant of grace is passe. It is no more. As Christians, we're no longer living under the old covenant, as Paul says in Romans 7, 4. In Christ, we've died to the law, that we might be married to another. Who is this other that we might be married to? The Lord Jesus Christ. The law has served its purpose. 
The law was the tutor. The law was the disciplinarian to bring us to Jesus Christ. But now that Christ has come, God's final word, who's better than the angels, who's better than Moses, who's better than Joshua, who actually secures rest, who actually secures salvation, he's come. It's inconceivable that you would go back to that which is passe, that which has run its course. Do you see his argument? He's marshalling. You can almost hear the passion in his voice as he's writing. Why would you do this? Why would you return to the works of the flesh that cannot bring perfection, that cannot bring rest to your weary soul, that cannot bring a cleansed conscience? Do you really believe the blood of bulls and goats is better than the blood of the only begotten of the Father who's full of grace and truth? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that your works are better than the works of Jesus Christ? How foolish can you be? Are you trusting in his resume and what he's accomplished in his active and passive obedience in your place, in your stead? You see, saints, while the Old Testament is still authoritative, Right? The moral law is still binding. Why is that? Because it's holy. It's righteous. And it's good. It's the very reflection of God. It's eternal. It's still binding and authoritative on our lives. And, and Paul will go so far to quote in Romans 15 that these stories, these pictures that Jesus painted in the Old Covenant still have authority because they're useful for our edification and for our encouragement, but you're not under that covenant. You're married to another. You're not married to Moses. You're married to Christ, the one to whom Moses pointed. So why would you go back? Get off the treadmill. Lay down your righteousness. Lay down your works. Rest in Jesus. Why are you discouraged this morning? Whose righteousness are you looking to? Are you looking to your own pedigree? Your own religiosity? Or are you looking to the perfect Lamb of God and what He's done? You see, only one of those is the true gospel. Only one of those has music that sends the soul to dancing. And that's the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who is your righteousness. You see, beloved, this is what he wants them to see. It's not just this theological treatise he's trying to develop in some windowless room with a bow tie on and a cigar in his mouth. No, 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 no. No, that's not what he's doing. He loves these people. He's, he knows it's more than this theological sophistry. He loves these people. He knows that if you come before the Holy of Holies and you don't have that backstage pass, you don't have that past that can get you behind the curtain. You're going to be denied at the door. You're not going to be let in. Your resume is not going to cut it. I don't care who your daddy is. I don't care how many catechisms you've memorized. There's only one son of God. And his blood and his righteousness. I have no other argument. I have no other plea. None. Zero. Zilch. He's my only boast. He's my glory. He's the lifter of my head. He's my righteousness. The question this morning, is he your righteousness? 
Are you looking to Jesus Christ and Him alone? Alone. Alone. You see, that's what differentiates it from all other religions of men. Christianity, biblical Christianity, is all about the alone. In Him alone is my hope. He is the light, my salvation. He is the eternal priest. You see, perfection, righteousness has come. It's not come in the law, but in Jesus Christ. He's going to go on to say this in Hebrews 10. Listen to Hebrews 10.1. The law, since it has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. All your religiosity... Week in, week out, year after year, going to the temple, bringing sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats, it can never give you access to God. You see, perfection is found only in Christ, what He's done once for all. You see, beloved, we've never had to experience what it would have been like to go to the the temple, to Jerusalem, and laying our hands on those lambs. Can you imagine the smell? I just can't imagine. That's the thing that gets me above everything. That's my strongest sense. Can you just imagine all those animals and all the blood and, and all the filth imaging, picturing, not his imperfections, but yours. All that blood that had to be shed because of your sin, because of your pride and your self-righteousness because you were boasting and hoping and trusting in your own religiosity in obedience to the law rather than the one to whom the law pointed. You see, the law was like an adult, a guardian, taking you by the hand saying, we need to go because there's the seed of Abraham. He's coming. He's coming. And now he's come. The law gives way to another bridegroom. So you die to that former tutor, that former guardian, and now you're married to another. And now you have the law not written on stone. Where is this written? It's written on the heart. So the heart that says, oh, how I love thy law, is the regenerate heart. The law that has that love for the law written on its heart, right? That's what God does in Jesus Christ in regeneration, you see, beloved, perfection has come. It's come in Jesus Christ. Well, secondly, the, the royal priesthood of the Son in verses 13 to 17. Notice what he says there. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord Jesus was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses never said anything about priest. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a high priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Again, the point is straightforward. If the Mosaic law and covenant is still in effect, then Jesus can't be a priest. Why can he not be a priest? Because he doesn't have... The credentials to be a priest. He's not of the tribe of Aaron. He's not of Levi's descent. 
he cannot serve as priest. There has to be a new priesthood for him to serve as high priest. You see, in the Old Testament, it was clear that if man wanted to serve as priest, he must be of that tribe of Levi. But Jesus was neither. There is no precedent nor permission from God for another tribe to serve as priest. But he says that Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. And from Judah would come one who? Who would be king of my people Israel, right? Isn't that what Jacob prophesied in Genesis 49.10? For the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from beneath his feet until tribute come to him, and to him shall be the obedience of all the people. You see, beloved, Jesus is our priest king. He's not only the priest. He's also the royal king. He's David's greatest son. He fulfills Psalm 110.4. He became a priest, not on the basis of his genealogy, but notice what it says, verse 16, but by the power of an indestructible life. What does the writer mean here by this indestructible life? Is he referring to his deity as the second person in the Trinity? Or is he referring to Jesus' power that was displayed in his resurrection? Which one is it? I think it's yes. I think it's yes. I think he's both. So no matter how we take it, whether it's referring to his deity or his resurrection, the point is that Jesus is now the living and reigning high priest of God, not in the order of Levi, but in the order of Melchizedek. You see, death prevented the Levitical priest from serving, and from continuing in office. But Jesus is a priest who has triumphed over the grave once for all. So why would you return, right? Where the priests are always dying. When you have no surety in the priest, right? Is this guy going to make it next week? I need a priest who lives forever. And Jesus Christ is that priest. Let's hold fast to him. That leads to the third point this morning. The permanent priesthood of God. The permanent priesthood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In verses 18 and 19. Notice what he says there in verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside. What's the former commandment? The Mosaic administration, the Mosaic covenant is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Look at verse 19. Parenthetically, he says, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Again, he's emphasizing the inferiority of the Levitical priesthood to that of Jesus' priesthood in Melchizedek. A new hope has come, a better hope, where believers have full access, where we're given the, the full access pass to go behind the curtain because that former administration in the Mosaic Covenant is annulled. It's put away once for all. And why was it set aside? Notice what he says. Because of its weakness and uselessness. It was deficient. It could not secure perfection. It could not give hope. It could not bring us near to God. The question then begs to be asked, why was it given? It served God's purpose in pointing forward to the reality, to the one by whom his own sacrifice has come and given that sacrifice. You see, it was a guardian because the law made nothing perfect. 
for it could not accomplish salvation to secure the forgiveness of your sin and cleanse your conscience. Listen to Paul in Galatians 3, 21 to 22 as he speaks about the law, right? Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But Scripture has imprisoned everyone on everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You see, the law imprisons you. It exposes you, but it has no power to cleanse you. None whatsoever. It cannot cleanse your soul. It cannot bring you into communion with God. It actually excites sin, right? It actually makes sin sinful, right? It excites it. It has a power in the law because of flesh. It excites it. So when you're told not to do something, you want to do it because you've been told not to do it. It works against our flesh in that way. So we're brought under the law that the law might lead us to the one who can deliver us from the law's penalty and the law's power. It's given its deficiency of the Levitical priesthood right here because it was annulled and a better hope, a new hope has arrived in Jesus Christ. You see, it's inconceivable that anyone would forsake what is better to cling to the law of the Levitical priesthood. So this morning in closing, all of this, right, all of this detail about this inadequacy and uselessness of the Levitical priesthood, why? We don't have this tendency to go back to the law, but we do have a tendency to trust in our own resume. We do have this tendency to trust in our own pedigree. We do have this tendency within us to trust in the law, to somehow merit something before the Father. But the Lord Jesus comes this morning as a better priest with better blood that now sprinkles the throne of grace. So Christian, you need not fear that your sins will bring you into judgment because Christ died once for all. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't need to fear death, right? But outside of Christ, a man's appointed unto once to die and then the judgment. But in Jesus Christ, you've died to the law, and now you've been raised in newness of life, and you now live in Jesus Christ. You don't never need to live in anxiety of fear about whether you've done enough to make atonement for your sin, because you haven't. You haven't. You haven't done enough. You never will do enough, but he has, so you can rest in Jesus Christ. Never again need to be bound by someone else's expectations of you or accordance with some man-made rules that they've set down for you because they do it and you're bound, your conscience feels bound because they do it. No, you should be set free because Christ is the lawgiver, not men. And Christ has fulfilled the law for you. He's exhausted the law in his act of obedience. He's suffered the curse and the penalty of the law in your stead. So saints, you can breathe. You can glorify and enjoy God with a heart filled with joy and thanksgiving, knowing that the perfect and complete sacrifice has been paid, that your sins have been paid in full, and it's yours by faith this morning. So we have a better priest with a better priesthood with a permanent priesthood, a perfect priesthood, a royal priesthood, a better hope. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters behind the curtain, beloved. We can go behind the curtain now because in Jesus Christ we have the access pass. We can go behind the curtain in him knowing that he is our righteousness. May he bless his eternal word to us, we pray in his holy name.